Hello there, and welcome to Not The Farmer's Wife podcast. I'm CJ Steedman, and I'm definitely not the farmer's wife. I am a mum, a partner, a full-time off-farm worker, and enthusiastically a lady farmer. On our farm, Mojo Homestead, we grow chickens, goats, cows, and bees. We practice regenerative agriculture and holistic management. If, like me, you love all things farming and homesteading, and if you'd like to learn from the female farmer's perspective, then I'd love to have you along for the ride. So let's get farming. Hi everyone, CJ here. Welcome back to another episode of Not the Farmer's Wife. This week we're going to talk about does homesteading pay? Can you make an income from it? And before I go into that, I just want to say that uh, my course uh, for backyard chicken keeping is now closed. Uh, and anybody that is interested in looking at the next course uh, that I'm running on backyard chicken keeping, it will be opening in June with the dates to come shortly, uh, but probably midway, either first or second week of June. Uh, that should be opening up again in case you are interested and missed out this time. So does homesteading pay? Can you make a living from it? Uh, yes, but, <laughs> and it's a big but. <laughs> There's lots of things that you need to consider if you're looking at homesteading as a full-time business and not having an off-farm job, which is what I spoke about last week. The main ones that you need to consider are your liabilities, the, the things that you really have to pay each week. Now, the first one is obviously mortgage and if you're on a small block or a block that you've had in the family for some time, then that would not be an issue. Uh, but if you're coming into to homesteading later in life, then you, know, you might have had some capital behind you. You might have sold a property to get to your five, ten acre lot. If that's the case, you might only have a small mortgage and it might not be a problem. If you're a dual income family, it may not be an issue for you. You might be able to cover the mortgage completely with um, one person's wage and be able to live and work uh, full-time on the on the acreage that would be lovely that's what we're aiming for here um, but there are liabilities that are ongoing as well so obviously you've got rates and land taxes and things like that uh, there's also things that you need to constantly improve on the land so fencing costs uh, putting in new dams or repairing old dams uh, putting in extra water tanks um, gates, cattle grids, electric fences, sheds for animals and livestock. Uh, I could go on and on. The list of liabilities would be massive depending on individual circumstances. But they're all things that you need to consider because what you need to work out is your numbers. That's the most important thing. If you don't know what it's going to cost you to live on, a land, on the land and homestead, then you're not going to be able to do it. You need to be very realistic about it. At the moment for us, because we have a mortgage, um, it's important that both of us are, are earning an income. So the handy helper works off farm. He actually runs his own business and works off farm. And uh, I work off farm and I also have a home business. Um, and I'll talk a bit more about that later on. But for us, we need the dual income coming in to make sure that we can cover not only the mortgage, but all of the improvements that we're trying to do. Uh, because when we came to our property, uh, there was a small house on it and there was a small tank and the fences are okay. There's a couple of really good fenced paddocks, but 
there's a lot of fencing work that needs doing. We invested in a 110,000 litre water tank um, within the first 18 months of being here. Uh, we've had to put in new gates, we've had to put in new sheds. Uh, yeah, <laughs> like I said before, the list can go on and on about what you can spend money on. Um, but it also comes down to whether or not you're homesteading on a larger block and living on that block or you might be looking at community gardens and trying to use community gardens to house a little chook run and a veggie garden because you don't have a very big backyard in which case you would have other costs associated with being part of the community gardens I don't know I've never never been involved in a community garden so I don't know what it costs to be involved but I would imagine there would be water costs and land land rates costs and things like that that you'd have to um, pay to be attached to that. Um, there's also the option of renting land. And I know a lot of people in a, the areas around Canberra in Australia where they are renting uh, small acreages because they might have horses or dogs or a couple of goats. And so they're renting small acreages where there's a house on the property and then it might be five or ten acres. And the owner of the property may well live in a house, another house on a different part of the property and they're just renting that very small section. Um, and then of course you have to look at what your assets are that you, that you have before you start homesteading. So obviously the main asset you would have is land. You know, even on five acres, five acres is still a lot of land that you can do a lot of stuff with. So, you know, it's still a huge asset. Uh, your animals are another one that's an asset, um, whether it's just a, a hive of bees or a, a chook run full of you know, chickens, it's still an asset. Uh, if you get to the bigger, larger portions, then you're looking at cows and goats and sheep and, and all the extras as well. So those assets obviously are more expensive. They're more expensive to obtain, they're more expensive to keep, and they're more expensive uh, to sell later on down the track. But one of the assets that you really need to look at with homesteading is your skills and your skill set. And what, what can you do to save yourself? Now, I, I'm part of a business group. I'm part of two business groups, actually. And one of them, one of the common themes that we discuss is, can you do it for cheaper and easier than what you can pay somebody else to do it? So with homesteading, the whole the whole premise behind homesteading is that you are living self-sufficiently off the land. So you're making your own cheese, milking your own goat, collecting your own eggs, growing your own veggies in your veggie garden. That's the whole point of homesteading. But there are some things that you might sit down and work out and go, well, I really can't do that any cheaper than what I can pay somebody else to do it for me. Or it would take so much of my time away from the things that I really do love doing uh, that it's not worth me paying somebody else to do it. Um, it's not worth me rather doing it myself and I, I'd, I'd rather pay somebody to do it and have them come in, take care of that thing that I'm really not a fan of and I, I'm not good at it, it's not my skill set. They're much better at it, much quicker and the, the time that it would take me to do that I can invest somewhere else which would be much more beneficial to me down the track. So one of the other things that you need to consider when you're thinking about whether or not homesteading will pay is how much it will reduce your cost of living. And I can say right now, at the moment I'm still driving into town every day, 
I still have to go to work, I still have to pay for parking, I still pay for petrol, all the kinds of things that I'm trying to avoid by staying out on the farm and working here uh, long term. But when I sit down and work out what it would cost me to continue to live if I wasn't having to travel into work, and I'm not just talking about your $5 cup of coffee each day because that, that went for me a long time ago. I am the budget coffee person in the office. <laughs> no, nobody even bothers to ask me if I want to go for a coffee anymore. Uh, but when you think about how much you'll save in fuel, parking, um, eating out costs, uh, you know, that inevitable trip to the supermarket because you've forgotten something on the way home, it sounds terrible, but you make do when you don't have to be in town. If you're not going in for something, if you're not running down to the shops constantly for something, then you just make do with what you've got. When you don't have carrots and you're supposed to have carrots for the meal that you're making tonight, well, I'll just chuck an extra zucchini in because you're not going to go all the way into town just to buy a carrot. Mind you, if you're growing your own carrots, it wouldn't be an issue, would it? In which case, again, you'd be saving money. So... Making a living homesteading comes in a couple of different ways and that is what skills and assets you can do, where you can reduce your cost of living and then what you actually have to pay for. And it's really important that you know your numbers on that because you might find that you could survive quite well on $2,000 a month. So you only need to be bringing $2,000 in in order to cover all your costs if you don't have a mortgage. Um, I don't know what the mortgage rates are like in America at the moment, but they're going through the roof here in Australia. And obviously, the quicker you can get your mortgage cost down, the better. So you might have to stay working like I'm doing for a couple more years to make sure that I've got that mortgage nailed before I then invest all my time into my homesteading. Um, I guess, and the, the only other thing that I really want to kind of go into before we, we start talking about how you can make money is... It's really important to do what you love. If, if beekeeping absolutely mortifies you and you think, oh, I couldn't think of anything worse every time I open the hive, they'll be buzzing around me, I'm worried about getting stung, you might be anaphylactic, although I know a lot of beekeepers that are anaphylactic and they cope just fine. Um, if it's not something you love, don't do it. It's not worth it. It's like the grief that would come with it. I mean, you may as well be working a nine-to-five job if, if you're going to do something you don't love. If your passion is, you know, fibre and you love the idea of spinning your own wool and dyeing it and then making you know, hand-knitted jumpers or doing... And I, I don't know the how they do it because I'm no good with craft stuff. I'm good with some craft stuff, but not with a lot. Uh, where they do the tatting, where... They make rugs and things out of fiber. If your if your passion is that, then then go for it. That's that's what you need to look at because once you start homesteading, the things that you're going to focus on for earning an income, they're going to be the things that you're talking about twenty four fucking seven. And if you don't love them, if you're not a hundred percent into it, you're going to get bored real quick. <laughs> it's it would bore me to fucking tears to do some of the homesteading jobs that some people do and I look and think oh my god like honestly growing flowers I reckon would be just about my worst because I would be terrible at it I am flat out growing a veggie garden uh, but growing flowers I love looking at them I would stand all day in a rose farm and and just stare at all these beautiful plants yet if somebody asked me to go and do it 
oh my god I'd rather yeah I'd rather go milk a goat essentially uh, so it's really important that whatever you think is going to be your homesteading mainstay your main um, choice it's got to be something you love because otherwise you will end up hating it in no time at all so what kinds of things could you do to get money coming in and I think before I rattle off the list that I have here it's really important to consider the fact that you need to be diverse you can't possibly and I know there are some people that do it but you can't possibly make an entire income from one particular thing niching down is great if you're doing online training courses or if you're working face-to-face consulting niching down is awesome because you are just targeting all your efforts and marketing all your efforts to the one customer but with homesteading you really do have to have some diversity and the reason for this is because things are seasonal so you might go through all of summer with a glut of eggs where you're selling your eggs at the local markets you're selling them to a you found a local restaurant that wants to buy them and you have got an oversupply of eggs and you are just sell 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 the whole time and then the chooks molt through winter when the sun is not up in the sky for as long and you've got 16 hours going down to 12 hours of daylight and all of a sudden all your girls are saying stuff you mum I'm molting I'm going off the lay you're going to get you know a couple of eggs from me and then uh, I'm going to have six or seven weeks off and I might then crack out one egg every couple of days for the first couple of weeks you need to have another source of income for when those seasonal factors kick in obviously vegetable gardening a great source of income uh, I am a terrible gardener with uh, high maintenance plants but with low maintenance plants like garlic onions potatoes uh, fruit trees not so bad with those things <laughs> if I've got to grow tomatoes they're pretty much not it's going to be a home they're good for home they're not good for selling anywhere because they don't look pretty they get left on the vine way too long and then I forget about them and then I haven't watered them um gardening is a great source but it is very seasonal if you have got a glut of fruit and veg over the summer months like everybody else does sell them get them out there uh the other way to to kind of cancel out the seasonal aspect of that is if you have ever tried your hand at canning or preserving go ahead and can and preserve them And then when the summer months have died away and you no longer have the produce that you've got coming in, you've still got canned goods. Now, it might be that you've got canned goods that you're going to use for yourself and that's going to save your costs down the track. But if you've got enough product, and and I know some years when, like when I first got my bees, my zucchinis went crazy. And honestly, I love zucchinis, but not hundreds and hundreds of them. So I end up just giving them away. But in hindsight if I'd canned them then we could have had zucchinis probably for the next two years Um, of course then there's the asset factor of having to have the canning goods and things like that but it's certainly an option for seasonal products like that Um, chooks are seasonal in regards to their egg laying and certainly depending on where you live I mean if you live in a climate where it's very warm and the sun is up for a set number of hours every day then you're probably doing a lot better but for most of us we have a winter and that winter means that the chooks go off the lay it also means it's harder to grow meat birds during that period because it's so cold and you can't always put them out into the 
the pasture because it's just too frosty and you know they don't they won't cope until certain weathers certain feathers have grown before they can handle the cold um, but meat birds through summer that can then be frozen um, or cryvacked uh, to keep them uh, fresh enough to eat through winter um, other animals to look at would be bees beekeeping uh, again you're not sourcing honey through winter that's just not done you've got to leave the girls enough supply to keep them going through the winter otherwise that you'll lose your bees uh, but during summer you'll get a good supply of honey out of them that you can sell uh, my goats uh, they are very much a spring summer autumn animal so I milk them through spring summer and autumn after they've kitted but then I dry them up over winter and the reason I dry them up is to give them a break and allow them to recoup and recover and get ready for their next kidding season. But also too, milking at four o'clock in the morning in minus five is not so much fun. Uh, it's kind of a bit uncomfortable. So I certainly appreciate that three to four month break break that I have. Um, in this, this year I'm having nearly a six month break, which is fantastic. Uh, sheep. <laughs> I don't know how sheep farmers do it every around us we have a lot of sheep farmers and they're awesome and they do a wonderful job but sheep drop their lambs in the middle of winter <laughs> couldn't think of anything worse than out in the middle of the paddock checking lambs in the middle of winter but it's it's seasonal still your, your lambs grow they get to a certain age then they have to be um, dispatched and processed ready for eating and and sold on to people or uh, you know put in the freezer for yourself uh, microgreens and mushrooms are another one that uh, seems to be making a, a real big appearance of late. Microgreens seem to be something that can be done in such a small space. They're really, you know, <laughs> seems like not much effort and they seem to sell pretty well for a pretty good price. Mushrooms is the same and with mushrooms, I'm actually going to start looking into this and I might have to do a, a little um, session on it later on once I've got my head around it. The The exotic mushrooms um, rather than just your standard white cap mushroom kind of thing um, the exotic mushroom market seems to have really exploded lately um, on my feeds on facebook and insta i just seem to be getting so much stuff about reiki mushrooms and quarter lines and and all this kind of thing and i've never heard of some of these mushrooms uh, but yeah mushrooms and microgreens don't take up a lot of space you probably do it in your garage to be honest uh, and certainly the prices that people seem to be asking, it, it's right up there with one that could be a, a good earner. And I, I don't know that there'd be a lot of seasonality to that because they're growing inside or you know, near inside. Um, there, there probably isn't a lot of seasonality to it, so that might be a good one. Uh, cheese making. Um, cheese making is something that I try and do with excess milk that I've got from the goats. And once we've got our milking cow up and running, I'll obviously do it with her as well. Um, but again that's a seasonal thing in that you have a glut of milk you are processing your cheese put it stacking your cheese away but handmade artisan cheese is ridiculously expensive I would not pay <laughs> the prices that some people ask although that that in itself bugs me and I shouldn't say it like that but it does bug me um, because that's half the problem with farming and homesteading is that sometimes people will balk at the price but if they had to go through the process of making those things, and I have gone through the process of making cheese, unless you have an oversupply of milk, artisan handmade cheese, what goes into that process 
they could double their prices and realistically people should still be paying it because there's so much work and it is such a huge skill set that I'm still learning and so many people don't have um, so they really should be able to ask whatever price they like for some of those cheeses um, fibers as I mentioned before so if you have sheep you might have one or two sheep in the backyard and or a goat we've got angora goats here um, having them shorn and or shearing them yourself if you're that way inclined I've tried to shear myself and poor Elmo our little weather he was the first one because he was the tamest and um, after one good gash I decided that maybe shearing wasn't for me and I could pay a professional to do that one that's one of those jobs that realistically the amount of time and effort I would have to put into learning it it's easier to pay somebody else to do it um, but fiber if you're you might be a mad knitter you might love crocheting you know felting and things like that might be really something that you could talk about all day and deal with all day and if you've got space for a couple of angora goats or some sheep and you can go through that process uh, even mohair um, or angora bunny rabbits I hadn't even heard of those until about two years ago um, I we've I've always eaten rabbit meat as a kid we had to um, and I joke with my kids now that maybe I should grow some rabbits for meat as well but in Australia it's a little bit harder because we have such an issue with wild rabbits uh, but angora goats <laughs> the fiber off them they make beautiful wool evidently and I've not experienced it firsthand but I'd love to um, alpaca uh, I think it's alpacas again I've not experienced it myself but alpaca fiber you know if you've got space for one or two goats or sheep or an alpaca then certainly that's something that you could have in your backyard and have um, the fiber that you are hand spinning hand dyeing hand preparing maybe you're selling chunks of it raw for other people who would like to spin themselves that would be an awesome thing to do uh, canning preserves I touched on earlier but uh, canning excess garden produce is something that you could absolutely do in order to cut down your costs through the winter months but also any excess that you had could be sold off and the same goes for preserves um, I've tried my hand at making jam not too bad at it I keep wanting to pull back on the amount of sugar that I put in and then I realize that I have to put that amount of sugar in in order to get it to set properly uh, but making preserves and selling them at the markets and again this is one of those things where you know sometimes I look at the cost that people put on those products and I think oh is it really worth that much but then when I have a go at making it myself I realize it's worth fucking 10 times that because there is some effort and hassle and there is a technique and a skill set that's involved with it and if you don't have that skill set then you know realistically you need to be prepared to pay somebody else if you want that product uh, another one which I love to try my hand at and I've got a few friends and a few workmates who do it is um, all different types of meat preparation now obviously we have goats that we prepare for meat here and chickens that we prepare for meat uh, but we also want to move into um, cows and eventually down the track we'd like to get some pigs as well uh, we feel like if we're going to have a lot of milk um, excess milk then having uh, milk raised pork would be very very useful um, I've tried it it's delicious um, when you see it for sale grab it try some yourself it is awesome uh, but being able to make jerky and sausages 
is something that we haven't tried here, uh, but I would love to. And I'm not a huge fan of jerky. I struggle with the texture, but homemade sausages, I've got a couple of people I know at work who've made them. Uh, one woman's husband used to make um, venison sausages and he would let her bring some in when we'd have a morning tea at work or something like that. These venison sausages were absolutely amazing. They were to die for. It was the best salami I think I've ever eaten. And I think it was a salami. It was it was spicy. It was made just like a salami. So, um, But obviously we're going to do um, meat prep for ourselves to fill our freezer. But the idea of selling off half a cow to somebody, um, you know, that's, that's the whole point we're doing what we do is that we want to raise grass-fed animals, you know, pasture-raised animals who've lived their best life and then they go off to be our food. And if you're vegan and you disagree with me, thank you very much, but you will not change my mind. Um, I, I wish everybody would understand the concept of beautiful, pasture-raised, lived exactly as they were intended meat before they, they become our dinner. Um, that's the only way I ever want my meat to come to me. Um, so the last one I've got on the list is um, orchards. And that could be nut or fruit orchards. Um, but again, that's a, that's a longer term, more expensive asset-based thing. But certainly you would, depending on how many trees you had in, you could just do it on a smaller scale. So you've just got enough for yourself. But, you know, if you're growing two olive trees... Yeah, how much harder would it be really to grow six olive trees and have some excess so that you could um, learn to pickle your own olives um, and and sell them off at the markets? So that it's not a full list, obviously, but that's just the list that I came up with of things that I'm certainly interested in doing. Um, I'd love to grow flowers, like I said, but I don't think I'd be very good at it. Our main things that we're aiming for money-wise our chooks obviously which we already do we sell our chook excess chook eggs and we're hoping to go more towards the pastured poultry uh, meat down the track uh, there are some legislative things that you have to consider when you're doing this kind of on selling uh, but in Australia we're really lucky under a certain number of eggs per week being sold you you don't really even need to be registered we are but you don't need to be registered um, beekeeping uh, you have to be registered with our local body, but it doesn't, um, actually it might cost, now that I've said it doesn't cost anything, there might be a small cost attached to that. Um, but the main thing is you're registered so that they know how many hives you've got and where they are. And that's because of things like the varroa mite that we've spoken about on previous episodes where, you know, you really, the DPI, the, the department that look after uh, primary industries, they need to know who's got bees and where just in case there is a um, biological issue um, our goats we can't sell raw goat's milk at this stage in Australia um, I believe that you can jump through a few hoops and get to the point where you can do that but uh, at the moment we've just been using it uh, as soap products which we absolutely can sell actually I just realized that was one that wasn't on my list selling soap and body lotion and things like that uh, which is something that we do do we make our own soap um, and certainly we haven't sold it at this stage but we've given it away to family and friends who've tried it and loved it so that's the next one on the list I think the kids are keen to try their hand at that one um, so our goat's milk goes towards our soap uh, but also too down the track like I said we'll hopefully go to um, pastured pork and, and we'll be feeding them excess milk as well 
we're probably not going to go into sheep I've never had much experience with sheep and I look and think it's seems like a lot of work to learn when I've got goats which fill the same role for me uh, cows we have gone into obviously and that down the track that will expand so that we are um, getting milk off the cows which hopefully I'll turn into um, cheese and I'm not sure of the legislation at this stage regarding raw cows milk cheese but I think it's a much much easier hurdle to get over than what it is uh, with selling raw cows milk uh, microgreens and mushrooms they're hot on my list I just need about another 10 hours in each day uh, fibers we already have our fibers but we don't sell them at this stage uh, my daughter is half handy at spinning I'm terrible at spinning but we're trying to work that one out <laughs> Uh, and the canning and preserves I've only ever used that to in order to reduce my cost of living uh, same with the meat now the last point that I want to leave you on is one and like I said I'm in two different business groups so I have a business group well there's actually two points I want to leave you with there's a business group that I'm in that is um, predominantly women who are doing online uh, training and teaching packages um, and hence why I'm doing my backyard chicken keeping course uh, that's why I joined that group so that I could learn what to do because I've even though I have been an educator within my job I haven't been an educator within farming or homesteading or animal care uh, so I'm learning how to do that in an online perspective and certainly for homesteaders if you have a skill set that is something that can be taught to others that would be a great source of income because it's a source of income that you could do part-time essentially and do from home and your costs are essentially a computer and some computer packages I use Kajabi for my training package which is a little bit more expensive but it's very very high quality it's it does everything I need it to do and I am no computer expert so certainly suits me um, but if you have a skill set and that skill set may be homesteading but it might also be something else. You might have been an advertiser or marketer in your previous life before you decided to move into homesteading. And you might be able to teach other people how to do homesteading marketing. You might be able to teach how they do marketing for any job. Uh, and that could be a source of income that allows you to still work from home and still spend the amount of hours that you need to do to do your homesteading. And certainly that's what I've been aiming for and that's why I've been in that group. The other thing and my other group is the group that helps me sell on Amazon and the gentleman who runs that is an awesome guy. Uh, Neil is just the bomb and he has a saying and I'm gonna fuck it up I know but the way that he says it is any products or services that have a high pain in the ass factor so you have to jump through a lot of hoops to get it going you need to jump through a lot of hoops to be regulated you know you there's a, a high friction point for a person moving into selling those products they're going to have a shit tin less amount of competition so by the time you jump through all those hoops you might be one of two or three sellers in that particular area in his case he has sold in the um, skincare market and the supplements market now both of those require huge ticks in the box to get them past uh, the legislation that's required in different countries but as he says 
There's other people that look at how, how much work they have to do to get past those legislative requirements and they stop. They don't go any further. They go, no, nah, fuck that. It's too hard. Too hard basket, not doing it. If you're prepared to go and put the effort in, and particularly if it's something you are passionate about or you have a really good skill set in, if you're prepared to go and do it, even though you know that you have to tick certain boxes, you have to get ticked off by the Department of Health, you have to be registered, you, have, you might have to you know, pay some fees to get somebody to come out and check your setup, that your, that your eggs are all clean or that your milk is, is good quality. By the time you get to the other side of that checkbox list, there's not as many sellers. So the potential for you to become a primary seller in that field is much higher because you don't have as much competition so don't when you go through that list don't look at it and think oh my god you know making cheese then I'd have to get department of health authorization I'd have to have somebody come and check out my kitchen I'd have to make sure I've got like a a semi-commercial kitchen set up god that's a real pain in the ass you and everybody else thought that and that's why the people that are selling artisan handmade cheese are asking a squillion dollars for their 100 grams of brie because they jumped through all those hurdles if you really love it if you really want to do it look at what it takes to jump through the hurdles and sit down and do your figures up and if it's going to come out on the other side that you can sell that product for three or four times what you would normally be able to sell it because you have jumped through the hoops don't stop do it it'd be so worth it to be doing something you love anyway that's my little rant for the week um, certainly for me we're looking at chooks bees goats microgreens or mushrooms probably both cheese and yeah, eventually we'll probably go down the meat sausage jerky kind of route as well and we'll see how we go from there and of course my online business which is selling on Amazon and I also have a print-on-demand store <laughs> and I also do online courses and as I said diversity is king if you can diversify the things that you are good at and you have a skill set that can either you know is either easily learned or you are naturally good at go for it earn some money pay off the mortgage live happy on your farm anyway don't forget it's going to be another two months before my backyard chicken keeping course opens again but if you want to get on the wait list and you are not already there go to www.mojohomestead.net and you will see a whole bunch of links and we've got freebies i've now got not just my uh, seven must knows to keeping backyard chickens but i also have a free webinar that is all about which breed of backyard chicken is best for your backyard. So feel free to go and uh, download that and have a look and let me know what you think. Any questions, you can get me on all the socials at, at Mojo Homestead or at the Not The Farmer's Wife. Uh, send me a DM. I'm happy to respond. Uh, I won't always get back to you straight away because I may be out dealing with chickens, goats or my own kids. Um, but once I get the message and I've got time, I will get back to you as soon as I can. Anyway, have a great week, everyone, and I will talk to you all next week. Bye for now. Thanks so much for listening today. I hope you've enjoyed our time together. If you did, I'd be so grateful if you left me a review. I would also absolutely love it if you tagged me in your next post on your favourite socials at either Not The Farmer's Wife or Mojo Homestead. 
and don't forget to get your free guide to backyard chicken keeping at www.mojohomestead.net backslash seven must knows and remember grow the life you want to live see ya